You are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. In the middle of all of that, I have heard good news. And I've heard of a couple things. I've heard of your number one, your faith. But I've also heard about your love. And so Paul is encouraging this community, both for what is setting them apart from the city that they are in. Like their faith in the Lord Jesus is setting them apart from the city of Ephesus. We talked about it last night, or last week. That there's this, the city of Ephesus is ruled in many ways by the marketplace and by that library of Celsus. Remember that? Like 12,000 scrolls that are in that place. And those Things Paul is telling his friends in Ephesus are going to shape you. They're going to form you. But what's standing you apart, what's setting you apart from the city is your faith in the Lord Jesus. But what is uniting you together is that the love you have for each other. So just notice like the good news that Paul is not proclaiming to them is like, oh my gosh, look how many people are in church. Look how full all of the seats are. Like how amazing is the music. How life-changing is the kids' ministry. He's not pointing to those things. He's pointing to what? He's pointing to their faith that's setting them apart in the city. Like there's something different about them. They march to a different beat. They sing a different song. They belong to a different story but then also the love they have for each other. And I think Paul would tell us, if we're going to be a flourishing church, that's what we're going after. A faith in the Lord Jesus and a love for each other. Because I think Paul would say, and he will later in 1 Corinthians, that the rest is what? The rest is noise. I'm just standing up here clanging a, a cymbal with a metal spoon if I'm getting caught in all of those other things. Paul wants to lift up the faith in the Lord Jesus and the love for one another. And of course, Paul knows these are not perfect people. They're not fully mature Christians. Paul knows that it's actually very easy to criticize. It's very easy to see all of the things that someone is not, but it takes great faith, I think Paul would say to us today, to see the good that is sprouting in another person's life and to water it with blessing. And that's what Paul's doing. Paul's not telling them all of the things they are not, all the things that they are missing. He's going to get there. That's in the second half of the book. But in this moment, he's saying, man, I've heard about you. And what have I heard? I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus in tough times, in difficult times, in times when it doesn't make sense, when times you're doing this alone. And I've heard about your love for one another. So Paul has this prayer. As much as he's heard about the good that is up to in their community, he wants to see more of it. 
Like there's, for Paul, there's not enough coffee in the cup, amen? There's not enough milk in the cereal bowl. He wants to see more and more and more and more. He wants to see it flow in greater ways out of them into the city. So there's a theme in this Paul's prayer. Again, we talked about last week how there's like 11 verses of chapter 1 that are one sentence. Paul does it again here in the original language. This is just kind of going on and on and on and on. This is also one sentence. Last week was like 204 words. Today's 202 words. Run on sentence. Because he's just so excited to share of the good news that, they, that he has heard about them. So if you look at verse 17, there's really three areas that Paul wants this church to grow in. If you notice it, number one is just that they would grow in knowledge. Like that's what he wants for them. Both intellectual knowledge, both in like cerebral understanding of what is true, this intellectual faith, but he doesn't want it to stop there because it is both intellectual, but it's also he wants this knowledge to be integrated in their lives. So he doesn't want these people just to know a bunch of stuff, to be able to recite a bunch of verses. I grew up in the era of something that we did at youth group called sword drills, right? And you might not know what a sword drill is, but a sword drill is when your youth leader stands in the front of the room and they shout a scripture and everybody's got to hold their Bible like this because we know it's a race. The point in the scriptures is to get there first, not to actually know it. And so they would yell out Romans 12.1 and then everybody would go and then when you, whoever got it first would like stand up and yell, got it, right? Paul wants it to go beyond knowing those verses. To have this knowledge integrated in your life. So it's, the question is not, can you recall what's true? The question is, can you live out what is true? And of course, that is a struggle. Of course, that is difficult. Of course, it takes a lifetime of becoming to fully step into what you know intellectually and have it become integrated in your life. So he's talking about intellectual and integrated knowledge. I think he's also talking about this experiential knowledge, like experiencing God in a really powerful way, experiencing his love and his mercy and his grace and his kindness. But I think he's also talking about believing by faith, like it's both. Like, if we're going to grow in the knowledge of who God is, like, we're going to have some amazing experiences. I think we could probably tell some stories today of a moment in time when God showed up in your life in a really powerful way. Like, he was really significant. But I think we can also tell about some times when we've just had to believe it's true by faith because we're not seeing it and we're not experiencing it. And I don't think that we should try to get rid of the experiential right? And just believe by faith. Like Moses, he says something amazing to God. You remember what he says? He says to him on this top of this mountain, show me your glory. Like he wants to see God move in a powerful way. Show me your glory. It's not like, oh no, I don't need to see it because I just already believe it. So don't worry about it. I don't need to see your glory because I know your glory. You gave me the law, so I don't need to see your face. I'll just read the law. Thank you very much. 
Well, no, because of course we need that. Of course we should have a hunger to see God. We should have a hunger to experience his goodness and his love and his mercy, his kindness, his grace, and his victory in our lives. But there are also going to be times, there's going to be days, when we're not experiencing that, and instead we grab hold of the word of God and proclaim it by faith. So Paul says, what I want for you is to grow in knowledge, intellectual knowledge, and have that knowledge be integrated and that knowledge that comes through experience, experiencing him face-to-face in a powerful way, but also the knowledge that comes from believing it even when it's not happening, holding on to it when you cannot see it. So that's verse 17. He wants them to grow in knowledge. Verse 18. We might as well go ahead and read it. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So verse 18 is that they would grow in hope. So verse 17, Paul says, hey, I want you to grow in knowledge. But verse 18, I want you to grow in hope. Well, what kind of hope are we talking about? I think we're talking about hope of salvation, that God has, has moved on our behalf. He's not left his people, sh- should we say, like in the parking lot, but he has brought his people inside of the house, giving them a seat at the table and placed before them a meal that is for them that would fill their soul. They wanted to go anywhere else to find it. Paul wants this hope of salvation to grow within them, to flourish within them. And then he talks about this inheritance, this glorious inheritance in the saints. I mean, you know how inheritance works. When I was growing up, my great-grandmother died, and there was some money that our family was given kind of through that. And so, of course, we bought a hot tub for the backyard. That's just what we did because that's what you do with an inheritance. You know, every time we got in there, we just, you know, said a little prayer, you know, whatever, right? (laughs) But there's a different kind of inheritance that Paul is talking about here. You didn't do anything to earn this inheritance. This inheritance is something that comes to you by grace. It's a gift. It's love. It's mercy. It's kindness. And what is so beautiful about the scriptures is that he is the inheritance, Like, he's the one that we are given. The inheritance is Jesus. Like, being with him, being united with him, walking in relationship with him. Like, this is what goes south in the garden, isn't it? That instead of Adam and Eve walking with God, they reject God, and they reject his way in his heart, and they walk somewhere else. But in Christ, God makes this right. God makes a way, and he becomes our way, and becomes our truth, and becomes our life. So Paul wants these Ephesian Christians to grow in knowledge, of course, because he wants them to know stuff, and he wants them to live stuff out, but he also wants them to grow in hope, because there are a lot of things in life that steal our hope. We've had a lot of experiences that have taught us 
hope is not really worth it. Like you're just going to lose. So hang on to what you can see. Hang on to what you know for sure. Hope's going to let you down. Hope's just going to get you hurt. But Paul knows the opposite of that. Because God is, if there's anything that we can hope in, if there's anything that we can hope for, it's him. If there's any life we can have, it's him. If there's any truth, if there's any way, if there's any blessing, any inheritance we can have, it's him. And he wants all of that to grow in this local church. So when we talk about the hope of salvation, I think we can also talk about hope of resurrection. So it's not just salvation, but it's also like restoration, resurrection, that, that death is just the intermission. Like it doesn't have the last word. Now yesterday we had the funeral for Norma McCurcher, this 93-year-old saint who went to be with God at the end of August. And we got done with the funeral, and I was talking with people and the family and friends, and uh, this one person came up to me, and uh, they said, you know, you made one mistake today, which is a great way to start a conversation. <laughs> just giving tips here today, just a great way to start. And she said to me, you kept saying Norma is. You kept saying Norma is. You kept talking about her like she's present. Like you weren't saying that like things that she was and things that she did. And I said, yes, because Norma's alive. Because that's a promise that Jesus has, has given us. That we will have a resurrection like his. What happens after his resurrection? He's very much alive. He very much is. So resurrection then is not just something that happens when we die, and that's the next one, the hope of eternal life. Like the hope of eternal life is not something that we wait for when we die, but something that happens when the Holy Spirit fills, empowers, and uses us in this world for good, and the good of his kingdom, so that things would be on earth as they are in heaven. So Paul wants them to grow in knowledge, to grow in hope of their salvation, and the hope of the resurrection and the hope of eternal life, but there's one more, I think, the hope of God's glory. Before we get there, Romans 14, Paul says in another letter to another church, if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. So we have that hope, and then we have this, the hope in God's glory. And I know glory, I'm like, okay, good, another church word. If we could have more of those, that would be helpful. But I want to talk to you about what glory is. It's this Hebrew word, kabod, and it means presence, like heaviness. And so when people in the scriptures experience the glory of God, they're experiencing his presence and his heaviness, like you noticed it. Like, have you ever watched a dog chase a bird? Ever been in a moment where my dog owner's at? Some dog owners in here, I know you're out there, right? And you're going on a walk, and there's a bird, and what does the dog do? What happens to the bird? The bird is 
chased away by the presence of the dog. It, it changes the atmosphere. Because before, they were just doing whatever they were doing, cleaning their wings, eating something in a tree, and then they meet this dog, and it changes things, right? So when the glory of God comes on earth, what happens? Scripture tells us that, that every knee is going to bow when God's glory comes, his presence comes. Every knee is going to bow. My knee, your knee, every knee. Every tongue's going to confess. It's going to grab my tongue, but it wouldn't work very well to do that and talk at the same time. Every tongue is going to confess. My tongue, your tongue, everybody's tongue. Kind of sounds like a little jingle, but I won't stop. They're going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to what? To the glory of God the Father. But there's one more thing that happens when the glory of God comes. Evil scatters. Like that bird scatters in the presence of the puppy dog. So Paul says, yes, I want you to grow in knowledge. I want you to grow in hope of the resurrection and eternal life. In the hope of your salvation, but also in the hope of the glory, the presence of God. So when you hear people talk about glory, I want you to think about presence. Kabod. And then this last part, verse 19. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. Something really beautiful that you don't see in the English. That word for, if you're someone who highlights stuff in your Bible or writes stuff down, this would be a, a good thing. That word for is this Greek word, haste, and it actually means toward. So his incomparably great power toward us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every title that can be given not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. There's a really awkward sentence. Like he's trying to think of like, how do I describe this power? So he says like, in, in comparably great power. It's, it's, this power is inexhaustible. Like anybody had that, that, that waiter, that server at the restaurant, and you can't keep up with how much water they're bringing you? Like it's inexhaustible. Like, you're drinking it as fast as you can, and like, here comes Darcy. Gotcha. That's what Paul's talking about. Like, what word do I use? I don't know. I'm just going to keep using words because I can't even tell you how great, how big, how mighty, how weighty, how earth-shattering, shifting this power is. Incomparably great power. Many of our Bibles say, for us. But that power in the Greek tells us that it's toward us, that it's haste. It's toward us in Christ Jesus. You might ask, like, okay, well, like, what does that power do? The power does a couple of things. I'll put that next slide up. And we have this list that it raised Christ from the dead. That's what the power did. It raised a dead person to life. And it seated him. It seated him with God in the heavenly realms. 
So it raised him on earth, and then it seated him in heaven. And then what happened? That all things were placed under his feet, under his care, under his control. All things. All the good things. All the painful things. All the difficult things are placed under the control in the feet of Jesus. And then there's one more thing that happens. Is that he is made the head of all things. Paul is here talking about Jesus' authority. So he wants them to grow in knowledge. He wants them to grow in hope. He wants them to grow in power. And so what's beautiful about verse 19 is that we receive power toward us, but we operate in power through us. The power operates in us and through us. So the power that raised Jesus from the dead today, it's toward you. Like it's placed on you. Like remember when you're a little kid and your parents trying to help you get your coat on? Like, how, like you have to kind of lean, there. It's, it's a place, something that's placed on you. This power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus and placed everything under his feet and made him the head over all things. That same power is toward you. It's being placed on you. But that's just half of the story because that same power is supposed to show up through you. So I know Paul's not writing to them at their birthday party. I don't know. It could have been. I have no idea. He doesn't say. But he said, this is what I want for you. I want you to grow in knowledge, intellectual and integrated. I want you to grow in hope. Like, don't run away from hope. Like, don't leave hope around the house like you do your car keys that you can't ever find. But grow in it. Like, let's be more hopeful tomorrow than we were today. Let's be more hopeful a year from now than we were standing on this day. And that we would grow in power. We would know that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is not just toward us, but through us. I invite the band up as we close today. There's one more thing we need to say about power. I think Paul would tell us today that the power has been given to us not just as a sign of his blessing and love and grace and kindness, but that power has been given to us so that things might change around us. Because I think Paul would tell the Ephesian church in kind of a different way, like, you don't speak to darkness. You push on it. I don't think Paul wants the Ephesian church just to do a bunch of talking. I think he wants them to speak with boldness and authority and power, as we've just talked about. But I think Paul wants them to push on the darkness present in the world because it's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And when Jesus is raised from the dead, what's happened? He's pushing on darkness. He's pushing on every lie that's been spoken over you. He's pushing on the enslavement of, of sin and brokenness and pain and death. 
And he pushes it all the way down and he brings with him a kingdom of light and of glory and of peace and of mercy and compassion and kindness. And so I think there's lots of things we could talk about on our fifth birthday. Lots of things that we hope would happen in the future. Lots of things that we would like to see. Lots of ways in which we would like to grow. But when I stumbled upon this earlier this summer, I was like, yeah, this is it's the word for today. I don't know about you, but I want to grow in knowledge. Because I know just in my own life, like I know stuff. I can recall things that I don't always live. Like I know I can grow in integrating truth. Probably the only one today, but maybe there's somebody else who would stand with me in that and be like, yeah, I can grow in that way. I know that I could also stand to grow in hope. I know that I'm, I'm too easily somebody that will kind of walk towards certainty and kind of sidestep hope sometimes. Because I've walked through hard things like you have, and I've been hurt like you have. And hoping is maybe the most courageous thing you could ever do. And I also know that I could grow in power. I could stand to grow in the boldness that God has placed on me and that he wants to see work through me. Because he's called you and me and us together. Not just to complain about darkness. Not just to speak to the darkness in the world. Oh, it's here, it's there, it's in them. But to push on it. And when you push on it, resurrection comes, new life comes. So happy birthday, Invitation Church. It's a gift to be among you and to celebrate today all that God's done and what we believe he wants to do in us and through us in the power that is towards us. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.